So my mom and dad went to the conference, and they both came home and had the same comment. You have a very beautiful teacher. That doesn't help me. How's everything? Is everything okay? Yes, she said to keep continuing what you're doing. You have a very beautiful teacher. That didn't help me at all. Advice. I got a piece of advice once, and it was good. Because it took me through the ups and downs, the ins and outs, the highs and lows of my 35 years in education. People mentor other people to make them better at what they do. They pass down their wisdom and knowledge and experience. But what happens when you lose your mentor? Let's go back to first grade and revisit where all of this began. I'm Paul Hart, and this is Life's Learning Curve. Stand by. Kindergarten had been pretty fun. We'd done a lot of games. We did a lot of uh, socialization, getting along with others, sharing. Back then, when I went to school, kindergarten was more, how do we get along with one another, as opposed to educational things. There was a few educational pieces built in, but not much. A lot of singing songs, getting along, holding hands, following instructions, things like that. So when I went into first grade, I knew we were going to be doing math, we'd be doing reading, we'd be learning all the things that we needed that would help us throughout school and throughout life. How did I know? Well, my parents were both in education. My dad was a principal, had been a teacher and a coach, and my mom had been a teacher for a long time. One night, I heard them talking about my new teacher, and they had some concerns, but not many. I heard them saying, well, you know, she's a first-year teacher out of college. She's married. She's young. And I didn't know what that meant. It didn't mean good. It didn't mean bad to them either. It was just they were concerned. Her name was Mrs. McMahon. I made up a name for the podcast, incidentally. She had all the excitement and heart and love and hope and dreams of any brand new teacher. But I noticed in the first and the second day her frustration growing when things didn't always turn out the way maybe that she had planned. I do remember in particular the first time she went from kindly and loving to angry scream and it went something like this. Now in a few minutes, boys and girls, we'll be using our weekly readers to answer some questions. Turn to the page with the owl on it. Everybody find the page with the owl on it. Keep looking. Find the, find the, find the page with the owl on it! Stop talking! It was a sure attention getter for all of us. I think she had planned things out in her head and they weren't turning out the way she thought. Uh, You have different styles of learners in your classroom. You have students of different abilities and that type of thing. So everything wasn't smooth sailing, but you know, whatever is. She found something to hold on to while she walked around the room and that was 
her good friend. This would be her friend for most of the school year. It was a large yardstick. Large meaning 36 inches. A yardstick. And she would carry that around like a sword. And she'd... On her hand. Not too often. But it got all of our attention. I was a shy and quiet kid, so I was not going to make a whole lot of trouble anyway. But I just watched this. I did like her sweet, kindly, nurturing side a lot. But then there were those kids who pushed the boundaries. I do remember the very first time she took the yardstick and somebody was talking in the front row. She whacked the yardstick on the desk and it actually broke it. It went to slow motion for me at that point. And this piece, splinter of yardstick, went to slow motion and spun in the air. And it spun, and it spun, and it went down. And she's just standing there holding the broken yardstick. And I thought, oh, what's she going to do? She broke the yardstick. But she didn't flinch. The yardstick was meant as an attention getter, and it did. She didn't hit any of us. It was nothing like that. She needed a tool to try and gain respect. However, that yardstick became a tool of disrespect. She found that out later, I think. She must have had a closet full of these yardsticks because during that year, I remember she mangled, manipulated, broke, cracked at least four of them. I kind of felt bad for her and wished I could help her. But as a kid, you just don't know how to do that. I was never yardsticked by Mrs. McMahon, so I had this feeling I never was going to be. But I was reprimanded by her once. Every Friday, we had desk clean-out. And I don't know if you remember back to grade school, but that's when, you know, you go in your desk and you take everything out. You make sure everything's organized. You put it back in, get rid of pencil shavings, crayons that came out of the box, that type of thing. As I went to the back of my desk, I realized there were some papers in the back from earlier that week. Now, these were, see if you remember this, these were mimeographed math worksheets. Remember mimeographed? When it was passed to you, you'd put it on your desk, and you could pick it up and smell it. It had that unique smell to it. It was purple ink kind of a faded purple ink, and sometimes you couldn't see the problems even, but there it was, and it kind of smelled cool, so there it was on your desk. Well, we were doing three to four math worksheets every day in first grade. I know that by the time math was over, I hadn't finished all my worksheets, and so she'd say, put them away. In that grade, we were not allowed to take homework home from school, so... I didn't know I couldn't turn them in. She'd say, turn them in if they're finished. So I turned in what was finished, and I never thought to even ask, probably being a boy or being me, what to do with the other ones. So there they were in the back of my desk, and they started to crunch back there. I was reprimanded by Mrs. McMahon because as I pulled my spelling, my reading book, my math book out, etc., English book... I started pulling out math worksheets. One, two, three. And she happened to be walking by, and she was just aghast. What's this? It's my math worksheets. Why are these not done? I didn't finish them. 
Well, why not? I didn't have enough time to finish them in class. You should have told me. I'll tell you next time, okay? Well, at least I wanted to say that. I didn't. In first grade, you just kind of listen and stare. So mostly it went like this. The re- here's the reality. What's this? Math. Why are they here? I don't know. Why did you finish them? I, 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 Why didn't you tell me that they weren't done? I just didn't know. I wasn't asking questions, and I should have been. But again, for a first grader, probably was doing the best I could. Because of the math worksheets came the phone call home in first grade. Paul is not doing his math worksheets. After the phone call, my mom calls me in and says, Paul, why are you not doing your math worksheets? And I explained what the situation was that we pass them out, I do them, I turn in what's done. What's not done, I didn't know what to do. So I just put it in my desk. So my mom was pretty good about it. She understood and she said, let's see if we can call the teacher. We'll work something out so it's not a problem anymore. So, you know, we can do the math together. You can bring them home or something else. And so she did. She called her back and they actually had a good conversation. And she said that uh, when anybody's new at any job, they have to ask questions and students have to do the same thing. They have to ask questions. That's how we all get by in life. If you don't ask questions... You don't find out. Not one of us knows everything about everything. Even at the age I am right now, I ask questions constantly because I just don't know sometimes about things. And that's how I learn. Conference time came probably around um, Halloween time. I would say I was a, and continue to be, a visual technology learner. Not a lot of technology in the mid-60s, though. So my mom and dad went to the conference, and they both came home and had the same comment. You have a very beautiful teacher. That doesn't help me. How's everything? Is everything okay? Yes, she said to keep continuing what you're doing. After conference time, I relaxed a little bit and knew that I wasn't going to be getting in trouble if I followed the rules and paid attention. Remember, we took a recess every day and we went outside. There was a girl that I liked her and her name was Tammy. And the reason why I liked her was, man, could she kick a ball? She could kick a ball and place it in left field She could kick a ball and place it in right field. And I thought, this is the type of girl I want. So back in first grade, those were my qualifications for a great girl, which basically was a great kickball player. After the first week of school, our teacher had us take a slight test, small, simple test. And from that came three reading groups. The Bluebirds, the Robins, and the bottom feeders called the Blue Jays. Now, between all the kids in the class, 
we weren't supposed to know that there was a high and a middle and a low group. But we weren't idiots. You could tell when the group met in the front of the room the that the bluebirds were just top on top of things. They read almost right away. And the robins, they were middle of the road, average learners at that time. And then the blue jays struggled long, but they worked hard. So we had our three levels of reading groups, and they were disguised by bird names. <laughs> I was in the robins. We got to name the groups ourselves. She told us it was going to be named after birds. So um, my good friend and best friend in first grade, Paul, he was also in, in the robins. So that was cool. So he'd, we'd sit next to each other. This was when, in education, this new reading book came out by Scott Forsman Publishers. And it was the uh, Dick, Jane, and Sally series. And I, I guess the idea was that kids were supposed to learn reading from uh, word by word, visually, from each page. Now, there's all different ways to learn to read. This was what was popular at that time. And I'll never forget the excitement we all had sitting in the semicircle up front, in the front of the room, with Mrs. McMahon and no yardstick in her hand at that time. Mrs. McMahon helping, leading us, and we opened up our reading book for the first time in the first page, and there was a story. And the story had one word in the title, and apparently that was the first word we're supposed to learn. The word was the boy's name, Dick. Okay, that was the story title. And the next word we're supposed to learn is the word see, S-E-E. So in the picture, there's Dick, and, 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 and he's doing something in the yard. See, Dick. Turn the page. See Dick run. And there's a picture of him running. Page three. The story's getting better and better, I thought. Run, run, run. Oh, man. So I, by the first day, I was up to knowing three words. See, Dick, and run. Oh. We had to stop there. That was about 30 minutes of learning. And we proceeded on the second day to talk about the second story, which introduced a new character, Sally. It was a picture of Sally. She's on a tricycle, and she's just coming at the at us in this drawing, coming at, you know, the like she's going to write off the pages of the book. And it was just called See Sally. Ah, Combining a word from the first day with the second. I got it. Okay. So they're all like, see Sally. See Sally ride. Oh, a new word. So we have our C and we have ride. It was exciting learning to read, especially that way. Before first grade, my mom always said, now you're going to learn to read this year. It's really exciting. And it was. To me, it was really exciting. I couldn't wait to see what was going to happen the next day. I think the worst thing I feared was that this book was going to be so hard I'd never be able to keep up and everybody else would get stuff and I wouldn't. And that wasn't the case. A discipline problem in the classroom. And this was not the teacher's fault, not Mrs. McMahon's fault. This boy's name was Jimmy McManus, once again a made-up name. This was Jimmy McManus, and Jimmy really didn't have a whole lot of respect for the institution of higher learning elementary school. So Jimmy often would giggle and laugh out loud. 
He would yell comments at the teacher. It was all stuff we wouldn't dare do because our parents would, we'd be disciplined at home. Let's just put it that way. But not Jimmy. Jimmy would just yell things out and he'd laugh. He'd just burst out laughing. As the days passed, there was less and less yardstick in our school year and more understanding and patience. That was great to see. Everybody kind of calmed down. We started to feel like a classroom. But now we were like a classroom with Mrs. McMahon and Jimmy. So when Jimmy would yell something back at the teacher, like, I ain't listening to you. Mrs. McMahon would snap her head around. And there was this cool thing, and this is the thing I remember most about first grade. So when Mrs. McMahon spun her head around really quickly, she had this hairstyle. She must have had long hair. This is just my guess. And she had it wrapped up on top of her head, so it was stacked kind of on top of her head. It might have been a style back then. I don't know. But every day there it was wrapped around her head. And when she'd snap her head around, her top of her head, the hair on the top of her head came about a second later. So to me, it was kind of mesmerizing. I knew I wasn't going to get in trouble. So when Jimmy would say something that was inappropriate and she'd snap her head around, her hair came later. It was fascinating. Getting back to Jimmy. So a lot of us in the class had to... I don't want to say babysit, but we had to um, sit next to Jimmy. And we all had to do this, especially the quiet kids. And so I knew my day would come. So I'd see Jimmy sitting next to a girl who was quiet, polite, and nice. And he'd spend the whole day, like, poking her with a ruler. He'd spend the whole day whispering stuff. And you'd hear him laugh. Had a distinct laugh. It went... Mrs. McMahon would say, Jimmy, get back to work. I'm Mrs. McMahon. I would just do I was... Get back to work, Jimmy. No, I don't like school. I don't like you. <laughs> Jimmy was a problem. The day came where Jimmy was moved next to me. The first day during class, I didn't hear anything. Mrs. McMahon said, because he was right up on me, in my ear, whispering stuff to me, and then just laughing. I don't know if he knew I couldn't understand what he was saying, because it was along the lines of, I couldn't hear the teacher. I went through two or three days of school. I should have told my parents I didn't. I just thought this is something that I had to adjust to, something I had to learn to deal with. So finally, after after missing so much school, missing math instruction, I was missing, not reading because we went up in groups, but working on worksheets, I wasn't able to get work done. It, it was not working out well. One day I decided, well, I'm going to talk to Jimmy. He's whispering stuff to me. Then we tried to go to the garage. The garage, the board in the garage fell down. <laughs> and then we got to see the, the animal control came over. Jimmy, I said, I'm working on my math right now. And he puts his hand up and he yells out loud, Mrs. McMahon, Mrs. McMahon, Paul's bothering me. He talked. And she looks at me and she gives me this disapproving look. And I thought, oh, okay, I know how Jimmy's going to play this now. So, 
About another day passed, I'd say, probably. And I can't hear what's going on. Jimmy's just mumbling and whatever. That morning, my mom had had a talk with me about getting a haircut over the weekend. And this was a time in the mid-60s when the Beatles were popular. And the one of the things the Beatles did was influence style. And one of the ways people noticed right away was they had slightly longer hair. They were called the, the mop tops at that particular time. Later, they became the long hairs. But um, they were the mop tops this time. Now, me, my hair was cut, not in a crew cut back then, but just slightly longer than a crew cut. And um, so maybe if I kid with him, he'll respect me. So I leaned over, I got down, and I said, Hey, Jimmy. And he stopped talking, and he looked at me, and he listened. And I said, My mom says that if I don't get my hair cut this weekend, I'm going to look like one of the Beatles. And this is what I hear. <laughs> His hand goes up. Mrs. McMahon! Mrs. McMahon! <laughs> Paul says if he doesn't get his hair cut this weekend, he's going to look like one of the Beatles. The whole class stops and looks at me. Mrs. McMahon points to the hallway. I have to go out in the hallway. I really didn't want to ever get in trouble. I just didn't want to do it. Did it bother me? Yeah, it bothered me a lot. So I go in the hallway, and she goes, Look, I know Jimmy's a big problem, That I just want you to know that if you can just last one more week sitting there, I'll move you. And I said, okay, because she didn't seem to be mad, but she was mad that I said something to him, but she didn't address it with me. So Jimmy McManus was one of the first kids I came across in school. I didn't know how to take care of and how to manage, but I wasn't by myself. My teacher was in the same ballpark. Here's an interesting side note. When I was in my 30s, I ran into Jimmy McManus at a wedding. Now we're both adults. He recognized me from first grade. He recognized me because I didn't have him in another class after that. I think he moved or something. And he was very well put together, very well spoken. Seemed to be happy and successful, I guess. And he said to me he, that he apologized for being so unusual back in first grade. He said he'd been apologizing to people practically his whole life. But when he got to high school... He had found a teacher that realized he had some sort of a learning situation that needed to be addressed. He was an auditory learner. He heard things, but visually he it didn't stimulate any kind of education or any learning. And it was a challenge for him. So often he just didn't pay attention. And so he did things to amuse himself. And a lot of times he got into a lot of trouble. Jimmy and I stood there and talked and we laughed. I told him that I was in education now, that I had gone into the same thing my parents had done. And he said to me, Paul, I really hope that in education these days they're doing things to help kids like I was. And they are.
I did make a great friend in kindergarten and carried over into first grade, and he was in my class too. His name was Paul. His last name began with an S, not a pseudonym. And uh, he was a great guy. He was funny. Uh, he laughed a lot. He liked sports like I did. He liked uh, goofing around, hanging out. So there was one day when we were out at recess and we weren't playing kickball, and he said, you know, let's be best friends. And I said, okay. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if there was rules that went with it. I mean, things that aren't explained to you in life a lot. Let's be best friends. So we had this conversation on the way home, and I remember saying, well, what do best friends do? And he said, Gee, I don't know. He says, we're pals. Let's let's just put our arms around each other's shoulders and walk home. So we walked all the way home, a couple of uh, first grade boys with our arms around each other's shoulders. And when people say, would say to us, the older kids, what's up with you guys? We go, we're best friends. It took my sister, who was uh, three and a half years older than me, to tell me to knock that off, that it looked strange and it looked unusual and people were giving us strange looks. But Paul and I were still best friends. We knew just not to walk around with our arms around each other all the time. Paul had at his house more trucks in a playroom than I'd ever seen in my life. There were trucks everywhere. Oh, they were everywhere. They were absolutely everywhere. The whole room was filled with Tonka trucks and uh, matchbox trucks at that time. No Hot Wheels yet. And large trucks, small trucks, vehicles, all to play with. That's where I learned what we call boy noises, where you steer the trucks around and you do the shifting. Stick shift. Okay, you think I'm crazy now, but very essential if you're a boy to learn all the truck sounds. My mom was uh, outgoing and and, uh, very verbal and happy. And Paul's mom was just quiet. You know, she was a quiet mom. So Paul and I were good enough friends that I was learning a lot of stuff from him and he was learning a lot of things from me. We were sharing our adventures and language and and, and, uh, all the different things we could with one another. And one day at home... The phone rings, and my mom answers it, and she gets very serious right away. Of course, right away, I'm worried, it's Mrs. McMahon from school. Maybe I've done something. But it turns out to be my friend Paul's mom. And I got close enough to the phone to listen, and I could hear her voice, and I remember her saying, Your Polly and my Polly are not talking very nice. And my mom said, What do you mean? And she said, Well, they're using words that little boys shouldn't use. My mom said, Like, tell me what words they're using. And she said, Well, they're using the word fire truck and ship. Except it wasn't fire truck and it wasn't ship. My mom reacted to this in the same manner as in the movie A Christmas Story. Um, if you've ever seen that, Gene Shepard's movie with Ralphie and his friend Flick. And as she, her response was kind of a, what, 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 what? 
at the age I was at, I didn't know I was using bad language. I didn't even know there was such a thing as bad language. I know when my dad got mad at the lawnmower when it wouldn't start, he'd kick it and say, Darn it. My mom said, You know, do you hear your grandparents use that language? No. Do you hear your father or me use that language? No. How about any of the other neighbors? Do they use that language? No. All right. You're going to stop using that language because those are what we call dirty words, Paul. Dirty words. Dirty words. Okay. All right. Okay. Do you promise not to use those words again? No, I won't use them again. Do you? Have you ever said them in school? And I had to think. No. No, we don't use those words at school. No. With your friends? No. Then I want you to go to your room and think about this. So I did. I went to my room and thought about it. And I thought, there are words now that I know I can't say because they really bother people. That was the my introduction to swear words. Didn't know they were bad. Um, it was rather innocent. Um, I found out in a very strong way I shouldn't be using those words. And bless my mom for doing that because she did the right thing. She could have done a lot of other things, but she left the greatest impression upon me that she possibly could. For my dad, I was really worried that he was going to come home and he's going to say something to me about these new bad words I can't use. But instead, my mom and my dad together... After dinner that night, my mom said, I explained to your father what happened with the words that Paul's mom told me about and that you and I had talked. And I looked at my dad, and he just looked at me, and he pierced his lips, and he shook his head no. I have never felt so bad in my life. I disappointed my father. My heart sunk. I could fear the tears welling up in my eyes, and I cried, and I thought I I never wanted to disappoint him ever again. They had something in public education called Parent Visitation Week. It's been called a lot of different things, but Parent Visitation Week. And it's basically a week that parents can come and they can drop in the classroom and sit and look around and listen to a lesson being taught or just see what the vibe is in the classroom. And I I remember other people's parents coming in and sitting down and you'd know somebody else was in the room. So you kind of want to run your best behavior. Even, Even Jimmy McManus didn't mouth off while other parents were in the room. That was interesting to me. So... And I look to the back of the room and somebody says, I hear a, (gasps) what does that mean? That usually means somebody's in the room. My mom was visiting. Everyone else's mom and dad came in and quietly sat down. My mom came in. She walked up the side of the classroom and everybody's watching her and she started talking. And she said, well, good afternoon, boys and girls. I'm Mrs. Hart. I'm Paul's mom. And I'm so happy to be here today to visit you in this classroom. I hear wonderful things about your teacher, Mrs. McMahon. And I was aghast. I thought, oh no, 
My mom's talking in my classroom. She doesn't belong here. But something really interesting happened. I noticed people started smiling. The girls were smiling, and some of the boys were smiling, and we all felt kind of proud, like we were one big classroom. And I remember looking at Mrs. McMahon, and she went from a look of surprise to a real happy look on her face. And she nodded her head up and down and said, Thank you, Mrs. Hart, for coming today. I appreciate that you're here. I'd never seen anybody manage a classroom so easily. At that point, I realized my mom was a good teacher. She had a way of getting things done in a very positive manner. The rest of the school year was easy breezy. We were a great team. We felt like we uh, were one classroom. We had one outstanding teacher, and the yardstick was gone. It was a feeling of acceptance and pride. We all had really come somewhere, and we'd done it together. Many years later, when I was 17 or 18 years old, I remember sitting and having a conversation with my mom, and she brought up something. She had taken it upon herself, without my knowledge, to mentor my first grade teacher, Mrs. McMahon. And this was just after the whole math worksheet debacle in my desk. She shared strategies. She shared guidance. She helped her down that challenging first year in the classroom road. And you know, I never even knew that it was going on. Nobody did. But I did notice the change in our class. The yardstick was gone as a tool for discipline. And Jimmy, he was a bit more content each day. It all made sense. Now, I truly believe my mom did that, not for me, but for all of us, the whole class, and for Mrs. McMahon, who incidentally turned out to be a really great teacher. We all can become better by adding the right people to our lives. When I graduated college, I became a teacher myself, and I was forewarned of the challenges of my first class that first year by my administrator. I thought a lot about Mrs. McMahon that year. I remembered as hard as she tried, she became frustrated and discouraged, and I went through the same thing. Mrs. McMahon battled Jimmy McManus. And she battled with that yardstick. However, she found her way back to a comfortable classroom with a little help from an experienced teacher. So during my first through tenth year of teaching, I found myself asking a lot of questions, creating hypothetical situations, and I really used my mom as my biggest and best resource. Her experience was immeasurable. And I knew I had gone to the right person. She used to tell me, Paul, you have to have a whole different bag of tricks to draw from every day. Because what works with one student might not work with that same student the next day. 
you have to have a different approach, a different outlook, a different strategy, a different perspective. Have them ready to go every day. Be ready. And that advice carried me through 35 years of teaching. And when she passed away in my 11th year in education, I could still hear her voice. I really could. For the remainder of my years in the classroom, I was never alone or without an idea. After all, she was the one who smoothed the waters way back in first grade with Jimmy and the yardstick. Thanks, Mom. For Life's Learning Curve, I'm Paul Hart. This show is put together by producer Paul Hart with assistance by James Stetson, Bob Adam, and S.T. Dog. We're mixed by Austin Rogan, technical director Heidi Cerner. As always, musical assistance by Riley Hart. On this show, special thanks to Min Laban. Visit our website, lifeslearningcurve.buzzsprout.com. In today's show, some voices were digitally enhanced for entertainment purposes only. As always, don't forget to choose the like or subscribe button. I'm Paul Hart, and we will be back soon for more stories from Life's Learning Curve.